Uh, if you got your Bibles or your apps, let's turn to First Kings chapter one. Uh, we're going to be reading the first fourteen verses. Uh, good morning. Let's uh, continue worshiping the Lord. My name is Jason Espy. I serve here as an elder. All right. Verse one says, "Now King David was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes, but he could not keep warm. So his servant said to him." Let them seek a young virgin for my lord, the king, and let her attend the king and become his nurse. And let her lie in your bosom, that my lord, the king, may keep warm. So they searched for a beautiful girl throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the girl was very beautiful, and she became the king's nurse and served him. But the king did not cohabit with her. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. And his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? And he was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. And he had confirmed with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar the priest. And following Adonijah, they helped him. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatlings by the stone of Zeholeth, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the mighty man, and Solomon his brother. Then Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah the son of Haggith has become king? And David our Lord does not know it. So now come, please, Let me give you counsel and save your life and the life of your son, Solomon. Go at once to King David and say to him, Have you not heard, my lord, O king, sworn to your maidservant, saying, Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? Behold, while you are still there speaking with the king, I will come in after you. And confirm your words. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, guys. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, If you're new to Calvary Bible Church, welcome. Thanks for being here today. I'm Byron Bradshaw, the pastor here at our church. If you have any questions, feel free to see me after the service today. As already been mentioned this morning, we're beginning our series in the book of 1 Kings. So this is the very first week in our series. And just kind of let you know, we're going to be taking larger sections of Scripture because they're stories, right? They're, they're, chapter 1 is 53 verses, so we're going to be kind of covering more territory than we, nor- than we normally would as, we, as opposed to Pauline epistles and the minor prophets and things like that. So, but one of the questions I often get is, is why? You know, why do you select the books that you do? Why are we studying 1 Kings? Uh, I think for two different reasons. 1 Kings... One of the one of the purposes of First Kings is to warn, is a warning to any nation that wanders from the truth of God. 
It is a cautionary tale of any country, including the nation of Israel, that wanders from the truth of God's word. Perhaps there is no more uh, t- perfect timing for such a season in our country. So number one is that it's a, it's a warning to our country. But also number two, it has really practical life lessons. I think we kind of, let's just be honest. We, we look at the Old Testament and we kind of set it aside as, oh, that's cute for kids in Sunday school class. Right? Am I the only one? Oh, no, in the ark. And then we talk about the little animals. And so we just kind of chalk it up to a children's story. But really, in reality, they're for us, too. What does it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? It says, now these things happen as examples to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. That we should be able to look at the Old Testament stories, even though we might not understand fully their culture. And we say, I don't want to do that, right? If we don't learn from history, what we are bound to repeat it. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing in the book of 1 Kings. We're going to be really looking at practical life lessons, kind of be looking at the point, but also trying to make it real relevant to life. And uh, perhaps there's no more relevant topic that 1 Kings chapter 1 addresses than this one right here. Um... Let me just ask the the question. Let's just put it out there on the table. How many of you struggle with selfishness? Okay. Ladies, if your husband did not raise his hand, you can nudge him at this moment. Uh, We all struggle with selfishness. But, you know, there are certain personalities that just do it to another level. You know what I'm saying? uh, There are certain personalities that are self-glorifying, self-promoting. We would call them obnoxious okay uh so, so so don't think i'm talking about anybody in this room hey Byron, i think you're talking about me um my point exactly okay um moving on <laughs> but as i was growing up in the early 2000s there was this wide receiver for the philadelphia eagles as i was unpacking this issue of selfishness and thinking about the issue of self-glorification uh, there was this wide receiver that played for the Philadelphia Eagles. And if I said his name, none of you would even know who he was. He is like forgotten to history. He's, he's online. You can find his career stats. I wanted to make sure I had the right guy. I'm not going to say his name, but he existed. And, but he really didn't have any kind of consequential seasons and career, but he had one good game. Okay. And I would say he had one good play. So this play happens, and then after the game, the news reporters come to him, and this guy is inconsequential to the history of football, and the news reporters just say, you know, how do you feel about that play, you know, and they said, well, I just want to thank my hands for being so good. I want to thank my eyes for being so talented. I want to thank my feet for being so fast, right? That guy was completely and totally self-consumed. At least that's the impression he gave. Now, when he went back to the locker room, you know, do you think his teammates said, yeah, you're right, your hands are awesome and your, your feet are fast? No, of course not. They're all probably poking the balloon of his ego, right? We've all known people that struggle with selfishness to an nth degree. But if we're honest, we all struggle with different forms. And what we see in First Corinthians, First, First Corinthians, First Kings chapter 1 is we see three different forms of of selfishness. One is from Adonijah, one is from David, and one is Bathsheba. And we kind of see how this story kind of mixes together in the midst of all of these selfish actions and the application it has for us today. So if you have your Bible today, we are going to be 
like I said, be going through verses 1 through 50. We're really going to be unpacking verses 1 through 14 since the rest of the story from 15 through the end of the chapter kind of explains what happens in verses 1 through 14. And, uh, you know, before we really get into it, you know, we all know that the Bible says to love your enemy, to love others, to forgive and to be kind. We all know that the scripture says to forgive and to be other centered. Let do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. But if you've been around the block, there are just, man, let's just be honest. There are some people that, man, they just get on your nerves. Amen. There are people in your family, people at church, people at work. Amen. And so we, in that moment, we are tempted to be a little bit more self-consumed, selfish in our actions and in our mentality. And really, First Kings chapter 1 serves as a warning for us today to kind of run away from that. So the question we're kind of answering today is, how do we push back against the tide of being selfish? How do we curb that natural inclination in our mind and in our body And kind of what we're doing, in order to recognize, in order to work on selfishness, we must first understand it. So that's what we're going to uh, unpacking in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. To kind of paint the context, as I already mentioned, when we walk into 1 Kings chapter 1, I'm going to say that all day today. Okay, all right. 1 Kings chapter 1, um, there is a transition of leadership. How many of you have ever, you don't have to raise your hand to this, but how many of you have ever gotten a new boss? Right? There is this time period of things are a little bit awkward. People are trying to figure out their role, their place. The boss is trying to figure out what he's doing. That's kind of the season we see in First Kings chapter 1. But very quickly, because this is our first week, let us just kind of set the stage for the discussion where we are in the book. I know the video kind of did a good job painting the immediate context of this book. But let us just kind of take a step back and understand where we are lying or where we are in the old testament story this is to help you dust off the old testament you know get the dust off and refresh our memory so you think about yeah obviously have the garden of eden but really the first main character in the nation of israel is obviously father abraham don't start singing a song genesis chapter 12 is the introduction to the nation of israel through the father abraham now kind of give you a chronological treatment of the old testament abraham happens in about 2000 bc 1500 is moses 1000 is david 500 is Zerubbabel, and zero is christ okay so this begins with abraham abraham has the promised son isaac isaac has a son named jacob jacob has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of israel and then we see at the end of the book of genesis what happens nation of Israel goes down to Egypt because Egypt has food and grain. And then there they stay for about 400 years, becoming slaves of Pharaoh. And then what happens? Then a guy named Moses is born. He becomes the leader of Israel. He leads the people out of the land of Egypt, out of enslavement. He, la- he leads them through 40 years in the desert. He leads them up until the promised land, the land of Canaan. And then he dies and his successor, Joshua, enters into the promised land. So that's 2,500. And then after Moses and after the nation of Israel enter into the promised land, you have a period of the Old Testament called the period of the judges. If you're familiar, the period of the judges. Men and women like Gideon, you know that, Samson, Ehud, Athenial, Deborah. 
that these people serve as judges or kind of uh, temporary rulers of the nation of Israel during that 400-year period of the judges. And then the nation of Israel does something foolish in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, the nation of Israel, instead of you know, wanting to be ruled under judges in the theocracy of God, the people of Israel want more government. They want more government. Bad idea. Okay. And what do they say in 1 Samuel chapter 8? They say that, okay, you're fine. You want a king? Great. But he's going to tax you more. He's going to take your sons and make them soldiers. He's going to take your daughters and make them servants. And they say, well, we want a king anyway. So then you have the first king of Saul, and Saul's reign does not go well. And then they anoint the next king, David, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, right before the story of David and Goliath. And then that is where we kind of pick up in our story today. David is on the end of his life. He has spent about 40 years ruling or reigning over the nation of Israel. And he is on his deathbed in 1 Kings chapter 1. And we'll kind of get into a little bit more of the context and the background of this story. But if you have your text, notice verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 Kings. This is where we pick up in our story. Now David was old advanced in age, and they covered him with claws, but he could not keep warm. Verse 2. So the servant said to him, let them seek a young virgin for the Lord, the king, and let her attend to the king and become his nurse, and let her lie in your bosom, and let my Lord, the king, may keep, that may the Lord, the king, may keep warm. So they searched for a beautiful girl throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. Verse 4. This girl was very beautiful. She became the king's nurse and served him, but the king did not cohabitate with her. He did not have sexual relations with her. Now, upon first reading of the first four verses of chapter 1, it's a little weird. All right? We don't really understand the cultural context. But you have to kind of understand what's really going on on a biological level. I didn't, I went through human anatomy and physiology in high school at Grissom. Okay, so that's the extent of my biology uh, knowledge here. You can inform me later. But as people age, right, they have poor blood circulation and the fat underneath their skin becomes less, right? So then they become cold all the time. You know, that's why when you went into grandma's house as a kid, you know, how, what was the temperature in there? It was like 90, 95 degrees, and you're sweating like a pig, okay? I remember one time sitting in a house, I won't say whose it was, and I was sitting on top of the covers, just sweating profusely. It was just so hot. Well, that's, <laughs> that's why older people, but you think about, you know, this is the days before HVAC systems. Praise Jesus, we have those, amen, in Alabama. Can I get an amen? Okay, uh, amen. There we go, thank you. This is before HVAC systems. This is for before electric blankets. So you have David who is older. And what is, what is something that stays at 98.6 degrees? A human being. So instead of, you know, finding, a, I guess, a fire to put underneath his bed to light him on fire, they find somebody to basically lie with him to keep him warm. And what's interesting about this is we'll see the question you have is when you look at the text like this, you wonder why that's there. You know, why does the book of 1 Kings kick off this way? Well, 
Abishag becomes very important in chapter 2 of 1 Kings, but also I'll foreshadow something I'm going to talk about next week a little bit more. There's most likely a book of the Bible written to Abishag. But this is really where the issue of selfishness picks up. So David is older in age. Essentially, he's on his deathbed. He can't keep warm. His poor blood circulation. So it's kind of the beginning of the end. His days are numbered. So then... Adonijah, his son, takes it upon himself. And this is kind of the first episode of selfishness. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggath, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. Selfishness where it is seen in self-glorification. If you have your notes, it is really the first blank. Speaking of which, there are notes out there and in the back by the bath, just right back there at the back of the sanctuary. We see selfishness here in self-glorification. He crowns himself king, right? This is the wide receiver that talks about how great his hands are. Adonijah says, I will be king. David is on his deathbed. I'm just going to take it without anybody's permission. And I'm basically just going to go take the crown from David's head and put it on my own head. And to be honest with you, who would blame Adonijah? Let me explain a little bit of the culture. Adonijah is the oldest living male heir. David has 21 sons. Okay. But Adonijah is fourth in line. But if I say some of these names, you'll recognize some of them. His oldest brother was a guy named Amnon. What happened to him? He was killed by Absalom. And then you have the next oldest is Absalom himself. He was killed trying to do a coup d'etat against David earlier in the book of 2 Samuel. And he was killed by Joab. And then you have this person named Chiliab. We don't really know what happened to him. He probably died in childhood. And then you have Adonijah. So Adonijah is the next in line. He's the oldest of the male heirs. So he's probably thinking at this particular moment, hey, I'm going to be king. I'm not going to wait for David to crown me. I'm just going to take it upon myself. But also, Adonijah, we really can't blame him because he's the next male heir. He probably doesn't know that Solomon is going to be the next king. Clearly from the story, he doesn't have that clear boundary quite yet. So he just doesn't really know. He, I think he suspects it based on his actions. But there's no way for him to confirm that. And then the finally, I mean, who could blame him because he sees David is old and he is on his deathbed. And so Adonijah displays selfishness by self-glorification, by self-promotion, you know, thinking of himself on another level than other people. But let me just ask you the question, um, how can you tell if you are self-glorifying? If you're having an ego trip, okay, if you're being egotistical, there's a way to tell. There's a way that you can discern that if you actually watch. But can I just, let's just be honest, let's just pull back the veil sometimes. Um, again, the sermon series is meant to be a little bit practical in nature. So sometimes we can become so focused and so self-consumed and so driven that we just block out everybody else. The people in our lives say, that's a bad idea, that's a bad idea, that's a bad idea. And we're just driving that car right off a cliff. <laughs> okay, I've seen it. I've seen this in pastors where pastors start sticking their fingers in their ears, and then as soon as they do that, the car turns toward the cliff and they drive straight off of it. But notice what he does. How can we tell if we are 
self-promoting, if we are glorifying ourselves. Man, notice in your text, in your text in verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. So Adonijah had confirmed, conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and Abathar, the, the priest, and following Adonijah, they helped him. But notice in verse 8, it's not going to be up here, but Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, those are all the most important people in all of David's kingdom. Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. If you were to look in your text in 1 Kings chapter 1, you'll see from verses 8 through 10, four different times it says that these men, Zadok, Benaiah, and Nathan, are not with him. Take a hint. Adonijah, you are glorifying yourself. You are crowning your own self. And if you notice in verse 5, he says he had 50 men before him. What does that sound like? Sounds like 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, where Absalom reigned and ruled and crowned himself. It didn't end up well for him. He should have taken a step back for just a moment and said, wait a second. The people in my inner sanctum, my presidential cabinet so to speak, are not with me. Let, me. let me take a pause. Maybe it's not God's will for me to crown myself king. Um, we all have an ego. Let's just be honest here. Um, and we all at times are selfish. And we all at times, if you're like me, I am stubborn. Yeah, okay, I just said it. And go talk to my wife. She'll, yep, amen. If she was here this morning, one sick, amen. He's stubborn, okay. But if you, if you want to know if you're being like Adonijah, if you're being self-consumed and self-glorifying, then look at the people around you. Are the people behind you? Are those in your family behind you? Is your wife or your husband supporting your decision that you're about to make? So Adonijah displays selfishness through self-glorification, but, man, David oftentimes gets a pass because he is a man after God's own heart. But David here displays another issue of selfishness that we see in verse 6. Man, it is tucked away in here. His father, David, had never crossed him. That word crossed means confront or pain or, you know, conflict. His father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? And he was also very handsome, and he was born after Absalom. There's a lot here. Adonijah displays selfishness by self-promotion, his ego, I will be king. And David, David shows to be selfish here because he avoids conflict. He avoids it. Never crossed him at any time saying, why have you done so? You know, friends, sometimes we think of selfishness as an act of commission, but it's often an act of omission. I don't really want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that problem right now. That's, that's, that's poison. I just want to ignore the problem. I just hope it goes away. Right? May I relate to that one? Okay. Am I the only one? Right? So... We kind of run from conflict sometimes in life. But I want you to notice here, why does David run from conflict? It says in verse 6, it says, And he was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. 
Reason number one, I believe, that David avoids conflict is, number one, is because of external appearances. And he was also a very handsome man. And he was born after Absalom. So Adonijah is the brother of Absalom. So clearly David and his wife Haggith were good-looking people and produced good look, two good-looking sons. And David has the external appearance. You know, this is what we do. Everything looks good, so it must be good. Um, how many of you are homeowners in the room? Okay, cool. All right. Glutton for punishment. That's what that is. Um, when you're standing in your kitchen... And you look up, and there is a spot above your head on the drywall ceiling. Okay, what do you do with that particular circumstance? You know, do you go out into the street and look at your roof and say, well, everything looks good. It must be fine. You No, you deal with it because there's a problem you can't see. Or if you're driving along the path and, and a check engine light comes on, do you just look at the smoke underneath the hood and say, well, there's no smoke. We're cool. Right? Just because the external appearances seem to be fine doesn't mean everything is fine. So David here has an act where he just avoids conflict. He doesn't want to deal with it. And David is a great man. He's a great warrior. He is a man after God's own heart. He is a poet. He is a brave soldier. He is a great king. But he has this one fatal flaw, especially with his children, that he just doesn't want to deal with conflict. But then if you notice here, he gives a second different reason why he doesn't deal with it. And he was also a very handsome man, and he was born after Absalom. I think the second reason why David doesn't deal with Adonijah is he feels guilty. He feels guilty of what happened with Absalom, so instead of, in a sense, dealing with the issue, he just kind of ignores it altogether. I think sometimes we as human beings, we, we don't deal with conflict because we feel guilty because it, we, of something we did in the past. And so you see David struggling with this issue of avoidance. So Adonijah, he self-glorifies David. He avoids all sense of conflict driven by appearances and guilt. But then I want you to notice Bathsheba. I, I'm going to say he, she struggles with selfishness. But I'll classify that here in just a moment. Notice in verse 11, this is the story of Bathsheba's incident. Then Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, so let's just put a pause right here. Who is Nathan? Nathan is the prophet. And if you remember the story in the book of 2 Samuel, he is the prophet that confronts who? David about Bathsheba. So there I have what we call a history, okay? (laughs) Bathsheba's a little nervous that Nathan would come speak there. Oh, no, what else bad happened? Um, So he confronts David, spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? So now come, please let me give you counsel and save your life. Notice his motivation is to preserve Solomon and Bathsheba and the life of your son Solomon. Go at once to King David and say to him, Have you not, O Lord, my king, sworn to your maidservant, saying, Surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me and he shall sit on the throne why then has adonijah become king now you've noticed in verse 14 we'll finish out that behold while you are still there speaking with the king i will come in after you and confirm your words 
So this is a football play, in a sense, right? So they arrange the play. So Bathsheba goes in first to make David aware of the situation, and then Nathan will come back afterwards. And why do they do that? Because Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says, Every fact is confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. So they are trying to confirm to David that this is actually occurring. But clearly from the text in verse 6, David knew that this problem was boiling over. Because it says he never crossed Adonijah. He never confronted him. He never told him of the plot or of the plan of succession to this, his son of Solomon. And then if you notice in your text, First Kings chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 is kind of the story in a nutshell. 15 through 27 is the story of Bathsheba and Nathan approaching David. And then notice, skip down to verse 28. This is where he confirms his promise to Bathsheba. And then King David said, Call Bathsheba to me. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. The king vowed and said, As the Lord lives, I love this verse, verse 29 in 1 Kings 1. The king vowed and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all distress. Notice he didn't say, kept me from distress, but redeemed it. In the midst of the pain that David has experienced throughout his life, the life, the loss of a child, the conflict in his family, that the Lord redeems his life. Doesn't didn't prevent it, but redeems it from all distress. Surely as I vow to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on the, my throne in my place, and I will indeed do so this day. Verse 31, Then Bathsheba bowed her face to the ground and prostrated herself before the king and said, May my Lord King David live forever. Today we're talking about the sting of selfishness being self-consumed. Adonijah does it with self-glorification. David does it with self-avoidance. And Bathsheba does it here with self-preservation. How many of you, um, you don't have to raise your hand at this one. How many of you have ever... Uh, talk bad about another employee to save your own skin. <laughs> okay. Well, you think that's bad. Oh, you should have heard that person say. Um, in an effort of self-preservation, Bathsheba goes to David. But I'm going to give it a little bit of a spin here. I'm going to say that Bathsheba wasn't being selfish. She was being righteous. She was holding David to his word. We see in the scripture that there is a difference between truth and righteousness. Truth is the standard, and righteousness is the application of that standard. For example, it's one thing, as I shared last week, it's one thing to know that the speed limit on the parkway is 50 miles an hour. It's another one to abide by it. Amen? That's the difference of righteousness. Bathsheba knew the truth. She knew that Solomon was supposed to be king. And we kind of falter in a sense for being self-preserving here, but I don't think she was. I think she is asking the king to carry out his will, to carry out his promise. She is being stubbornly righteous. Friends, listen to me. Um, sometimes being righteous and being selfish can be clouded 
But if you have the truth on your side and you are truly trying to apply it in a sense of godliness and not out of a sense of being right or lording it over other people, then I believe you stand in that space. If your husband or if your wife are about to drive off a cliff of your life, take a time out and and be stubbornly righteous. We see that story in Bathsheba. She holds David to his word. And this is kind of the ending of the story in 1 Kings chapter 1. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites. The Cherethites are mercenaries. We would associate them with the secret service today. And the Pethites, same thing, went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule. In times of peace, the kings of Israel would ride on donkeys or on mules. It was essentially the crown. So David gives Solomon his crown to ride on the mule, albeit, remember in Zechariah 9.9, what does Jesus ride into Jerusalem on? A mule or a colt of a donkey? to symbolize the king of Israel, and brought him to Gihon. I don't have time to talk about that this morning. Zadok the priest then took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people were playing on flutes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth shook at their noise. That is the conclusion. So Solomon is crowned king. Adonijah is nearby probably about a quarter mile away, hears the trumpet. The trumpet is a signal of victory. So Adonijah crowns himself, hears the horn, hears the battle or something going on, immediately knows what's going on. And it says at the end of chapter one, that Adonijah feared Solomon. And this is what it says at the end of chapter one. Adonijah talks to Solomon. And this is what it says in verse 51. Now it's told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for behold, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will have no part put to put his servant to death with the sword. And notice this part. Solomon said, If he is a worthy man, not one of his hairs will fall to the ground, but if he has wickedness is found in him, he will surely die. That is foreshadowing next week we will see in 1 Kings chapter 2. But what we see here today is the issue of being self-consumed, self-glorification in Adonijah, self-denial, self-avoidance, just ignoring problems in David, and we see the issue of self-preservation. But I say that Bathsheba is being righteous, stubbornly righteous. So this is kind of my point today in the application section of this is selfishness. We see that on the theme to be humble, to be proactive and to be stubbornly righteous. And let me just kind of pull it all together with that word right there. So what? How do we apply it to our life? And I'm just going to leave this up here. Number one, can I just, um, you know, here, here. Okay. I get into trouble sometimes uh, with 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 things I hope you know that I speak the truth in love and my job <laughs> as a pastor of a church is to speak the truth amen and and we all if we're really honest we all struggle with selfishness amen can I get an amen you know and that's just the way it is but in order to curb the tide in order to kind of push back 
Let us just heed the warning that we see because they were given us as examples so that we would not crave evil things as they did. In order to stem the tide, number one, let us be humble. What I mean by that is let us listen to people. And I'm not perfect either. Hey, man, we all have our insecurities. We all have our wounds. We all have our stubbornness. I I get it. But we should be humble enough, especially to listen to men in our life like Benaiah. Like Zadok the priest, they weren't with him. He should have taken a memo and said, I'm about to get my head off. I'm about to be beheaded for taking the wrong action here. He should have been humble enough to listen and say, wait a second, this doesn't seem right. I don't have my family with me. I don't have David's most trusted companions. David hasn't given me his mule. Adonijah should have been humble enough to recognize it. Number two, we should be proactive. You know, there's a difference. I'm not saying that, you know, we should look for a problem under every rock. Okay, don't don't get me. And please don't exhaust your family with that. Okay, you know, they sneeze wrong and you get on to them about that. Okay, don't do that. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying the issues that could become a wedge in your life. We all know them. You know, we all have them, including Barn Bradshaw, the little wedges that have never been dealt with that cause us to be further and further away from the people that we love and to cause and introduce conflict to our family and to our loved ones and to people at work, and to people at church. There are all these little things. Just deal with them. Forgive. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as Jesus and Christ has forgiven you. And then number three, be stubbornly righteous. You know, sometimes it's hard to tell what is selfishness and what is righteousness. But if you have the truth on your side, And if you're doing it with an attitude of humility and not with an attitude of pride, then I think we should stand on our laurels. We should stand righteously applying the truth of God's word. And we should tell people, as Bathsheba did and as Nathan did, to prevent further bloodshed in the nation of Israel. So be humble, be proactive, and be stubbornly righteous. Um, if you do not know Christ Jesus, if you do not have a personal relationship with him, if you want to know more information about how to have and enter a relationship with him, I'm just going to give you a quick invitation. You can come talk to me after the service if you aren't sure where you go when you would pass away from this world. If you have any questions about how to come to Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ dying for our, for our sins, come see me after the service today. Pray with me. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the reminder that we have in the Old Testament that these examples of what not to do. Lord, that we would heed the advice. That we would not uh, just say, well, that's a cute story for you know, my seven-year-old Bryn. But it, it's for us. And Lord, I pray that we would heed the warnings when we heed it. And Lord, thank you that uh, what I love what David says is that you have redeemed our life from all distress. You didn't prevent it, but you redeemed it. And Lord, we all have distress. We all have struggles and conflict. We all have things in our life. I pray that we would come before the throne of grace and offer them before you to put them at your feet. And Lord, I pray that we today would have healthy relationships, relationships that we love one another in our families and at church and in our friendships. And Lord, I just thank you for the example that you give us in the Old Testament. Thank you for this morning. And we lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.